Section 109, Introduction No one could approach the coming dedication of the temple with more apprehension than the Prophet Joseph Smith. Before the temple could be dedicated, it had to conform in every detail with the vision Joseph had received concerning it. Here is the way Joseph Smith and his two counselors, Sidney Rigdon and Frederick G. Williams, saw the vision of the Kirtland Temple. Quote, Joseph received the word of the Lord for him to take his two counselors, Williams and Rigdon, and come before the Lord, and he would be shown the plan or model of the house to be built. He went upon his knees, called on the Lord, and the building appeared within viewing distance. After he had taken a good look at the exterior, the building seemed to come right over us, and the makeup of the hall seemed to coincide with what I there saw to a minutia. Joseph was accordingly enabled to dictate to the mechanics, and his counselors stood as witnesses, and it was strictly necessary in order to satisfy the spirit of unbelief in consequence of the weakness or childishness of the brethren in those days. This is in Truman O. Angel's book, Autobiography, pages 4 and 5. As Brigham Young later declared, quote, Soon after the church through our beloved prophet Joseph was commanded to build a temple to the Most High in Kirtland, Ohio, and this was the next house of the Lord we hear of on earth since the days of Solomon's temple. Joseph not only received a revelation and a commandment to build a temple, but he received a pattern, also as did Moses for the tabernacle, and Solomon for his temple, for without a pattern he could not have known what was wanting, having never seen one." Unquote. That is also from the autobiography of Truman O. Angel, pages 4 and 5. By January 1836, the building was nearly completed, and Joseph met with his immediate associates in the West Attic. There, Joseph had a marvelous vision of the celestial kingdom, including a view of the Father and the Son. Jesus later escorted the Quorum of the Twelve and the Quorum of Seventy through the veil and into the spirit world. They had a marvelous spiritual experience of a miraculous nature, but the elders' quorum balked. Joseph says, The quorum of elders had not observed the order which I had given them. Some of them replied that they had a teacher of their own, and they did not wish to be troubled by others. This caused the Spirit of the Lord to withdraw, and this quorum lost their great blessing to a great measure." Unquote. In fact, uh, no miracle at all for them. Now, this is in the History of the Church, Volume 2, page 392. Prior to the actual dedication of the temple, Joseph received the prayer by revelation. It was later read during the dedication, and the words of this revelation were as follows. Now we come to the text of section 109. Thanks be to thy name, O Lord God of Israel who keepest covenant, and showest mercy unto thy servants who walk uprightly before thee with all their hearts. Thou who hast commanded thy servants to build a house to thy name in this place, Kirtland. And now thou beholdest, O Lord, that thy servants have done according to thy commandment. Joseph considered it a great privilege to be commanded to build a temple to the Lord in Kirtland. And now we ask thee, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of thy bosom, 
in whose name alone salvation can be administered to the children of men. We ask thee, O Lord, to accept of this house the workmanship of the hands of us thy servants, which thou didst command us to build. In this verse Joseph makes the formal presentation of this temple to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. For thou knowest that we have done this work through great tribulation, and out of our poverty we have given of our substance to build a house to thy name, that the Son of Man might have a place to manifest himself to his people. When we get to see the construction of the Kirtland Temple in the great vision just before the millennium as described in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 108 to 110, we will be amazed at the poverty and sacrifice which was required in order to build this sacred edifice. And as thou hast said in a revelation given to us, calling us thy friends, saying, Call your solemn assembly, as I have commanded you, and as all have not faith, seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Organize yourselves. Prepare every needful thing and establish a house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God, that your incomings may be in the name of the Lord, that your outgoings may be in the name of the Lord, that all your salutations may be in the name of the Lord, with uplifted hands unto the Most High. These verses all refer to the building of the temple and the setting up of the school of the prophets. And now, Holy Father, we ask Thee to assist us, Thy people, with Thy grace in calling our solemn assembly, that it may be done to Thine honor and to Thy divine acceptance, and in a manner that we may be found worthy in Thy sight to secure a fulfillment of the promises which Thou hast made unto us, Thy people, in the revelations given unto us, that thy glory may rest down upon thy people, and upon this thy house, which we now dedicate to thee, that it may be sanctified and consecrated to be holy, and that thy holy presence may be continually in this house. Joseph knew that when the saints of this region crowded into the temple to hold their solemn assembly and lift their voices in the Hosanna shout, the presence of the Lord could manifest itself so they would know the temple was acceptable to him. That is what these three verses are about. Joseph hopes the Savior's presence will be manifest during this solemn assembly. And that all people who shall enter upon the threshold of the Lord's house may feel thy power and feel constrained to acknowledge that thou hast sanctified it and that it is thy house a place of thy holiness. It is clear that Joseph longs to have the glory of God manifested so the saints will feel the power of the Lord's Spirit. And do thou grant, Holy Father, that all those who shall worship in this house may be taught words of wisdom out of the best books 
and that they may seek learning even by study and also by faith, as thou hast said, and that they may grow up in thee and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost and be organized according to thy laws and be prepared to obtain every needful thing. These verses refer back to the 88th section where the Lord commanded the temple to be built and the priesthood to set up a school of the prophets. Joseph had received a multitude of profound doctrines which required careful study from the best books of Scripture and the enlightening spirit of the Holy Ghost to comprehend their meaning. He prays that all of this will come to pass. And that this house may be a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of glory, and of God, even thy house that all the incomings of thy people into this house may be in the name of the Lord, that all their outgoings from this house may be in the name of the Lord, and that all their salutations may be in the name of the Lord with holy hands, uplifted to the Most High, and that no unclean thing shall be permitted to come into thy house to pollute it. In the 88th section, the Lord outlined the sacred nature of the school of the prophets. The incomings and outgoings are described as sacred ceremonial procedures. And when thy people transgress any of them, they may speedily repent and return unto thee, and find favor in thy sight, and be restored to the blessings which thou hast ordained, to be poured out upon those who shall reverence thee in thy house. Joseph had some shocking evidence that even the saints are easily led into transgression, and he demonstrated in recent months that by working with those who had offended the Spirit, he was able to help them get back into the line of their duty. And we ask thee, Holy Father, that thy servants may go forth from this house armed with thy power, and that thy name may be upon them and thy glory be round about them, and thine angels have charge over them. And from this place they may bear exceedingly great and glorious tidings in truth unto the ends of the earth, that they may know that this is thy work, and that thou hast put forth thy hand to fulfill that which thou hast spoken by the mouths of the prophets concerning the last days all of the Quorum of the Twelve, and others who have been doing missionary work, were eagerly anticipating the completion of the temple so that they could go forth with more power and persuasion through the gift of the Spirit. We ask thee, Holy Father, to establish the people that shall worship and honorably hold a name and standing in this thy house to all generations and for eternity that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that he who diggeth a pit for them shall fall into the same himself, that no combination of wickedness shall have power to rise up and prevail over thy people, upon whom thy name shall be put in this house. And if any people shall rise against this people, that thine anger shall be kindled against them, Joseph is seeking help to resist the spirit of mobocracy and persecution which has manifested itself in both Missouri and Kirtland. In Missouri, that spirit had driven the saints out of the place where God's temple was to be built. Now he hopes the saints in Kirtland will prevail over their enemies.
and if they shall smite this people, thou wilt smite them. Thou wilt fight for thy people, as thou didst in the day of battle, that they may be delivered from the hands of all their enemies. We ask thee, Holy Father, to confound and astonish and to bring to shame and confusion all those who have spread lying reports abroad over the world against thy servant or servants, if they will not repent, when the everlasting gospel shall be proclaimed in their ears, and that all their works may be brought to naught and be swept away by the hail and by the judgments which thou wilt send upon them in thine anger, that there may be an end to lyings and slanders against thy people. Joseph prays that the power of God will be openly manifested in behalf of the people when persecution sweeps down upon them. For thou knowest, O Lord, that thy servants have been innocent before thee in bearing record of thy name, for which they have suffered these things. Therefore we plead before thee for a full and complete deliverance from under this yoke. Break it off, O Lord. Break it off from the necks of thy servants by thy power, that we may rise up in the midst of this generation and do thy work. The thrust of persecution against the saints in Kirtland had been based on false accusations and fabricated falsehoods. These falsehoods had been a great burden to the saints and required them to perform their labors as though they had a yoke around their necks. O Jehovah, have mercy upon this people, and as all men sin, forgive the transgressions of thy people, and let them be blotted out forever. Joseph is well aware that there have been weaknesses and transgressions committed by the saints, but he pleads that they can be forgiven so they can strive to regain God's confidence. Let the anointing of thy ministers be sealed upon them with power from on high. Let it be fulfilled upon them as upon those on the day of Pentecost. Let the gift of tongues be poured out upon thy people, even cloven tongues as of fire, and the interpretation thereof, and let thy house be filled as with a rushing mighty wind with thy glory. Joseph prays that the temple blessings may be poured out upon the people so that they can have a display of Pentecostal glory and enjoy miraculous manifestations of speaking in tongues and receiving the ministering of angels. Put upon thy servants the testimony of the covenant, that when they go out and proclaim thy word, they may seal up the law, and prepare the hearts of thy saints for all those judgments thou art about to send in thy wrath upon the inhabitants of the earth, because of their transgressions, that thy people may not faint in the day of trouble. And whatsoever city thy servants shall enter, and the people of that city receive their testimony. Let thy peace and thy salvation be upon that city, that they may gather out of that city the righteous, that they may come forth to Zion or to her stakes, the places of thine appointment with songs of everlasting joy. And until this be accomplished, let not thy judgments fall upon that city. Joseph has already seen visions of the great judgments that are coming upon the wicked in the not-too-distant future. 
Nevertheless, he prays that the missionaries may have time to teach the people the gospel before these great destructions commence. And whatsoever city thy servants shall enter, and the people of that city receive not the testimony of thy servants, and thy servants warn them to save themselves from this untoward generation, let it be upon that city, according to that which thou hast spoken, by the mouths of thy prophets. But deliver thou, O Jehovah, we beseech thee, thy servants, from their hands, and cleanse them from their blood. Joseph pleads with the Lord that when the hour of judgment falls upon the wicked, the missionaries and the saints will escape these calamities. O Lord, we delight not in the destruction of our fellow men. Their souls are precious before thee, but thy word must be fulfilled. Help thy servants to say, with thy grace assisting them, Thy will be done, O Lord, and not ours. We know that thou hast spoken by the mouth of thy prophets terrible things concerning the wicked in the last days, that thou wilt pour out thy judgments without measure. Therefore, O Lord, deliver thy people from the calamity of the wicked. Enable thy servants to seal up the law and bind up the testimony that they may be prepared against the day of burning. God's prophet does not pray for the destroyer to speedily come, for they abhor the shedding of blood. Nevertheless, the saints know that what God has said concerning the wicked will have to come to pass. He only prays that in the midst of these judgment the lives of the saints will be spared. We ask thee, Holy Father, to remember those who have been driven by the inhabitants of Jackson County, Missouri, from the lands of their inheritance, and break off, O Lord, this yoke of affliction that has been put upon them. Now Joseph turns to the saints in Missouri and pleads that they may be rescued from their afflictions. Thou knowest, O Lord, that they have been greatly oppressed and afflicted by wicked men, and our hearts flow out with sorrow because of their grievous burdens. O Lord, how long wilt thou suffer this people to bear this affliction, and the cries of their innocent ones to ascend up in thine ears, and their blood come up in testimony before thee, and not make a display of thy testimony in their behalf? Have mercy, O Lord, upon the wicked mob who have driven thy people, that they may cease to spoil that they may repent of their sins, if repentance is to be found. But if they will not, make bare thine arm, O Lord, and redeem that which thou didst appoint a Zion unto thy people. And if it cannot be otherwise, that the cause of thy people may not fail before thee, may thine anger be kindled and thine indignation fall upon them, that they may be wasted away both root and branch from under heaven. Joseph prays for the wicked Missouri mobs that they might repent and allow the saints to return to their homes. But if they will not repent, he prays that God's indignation may be poured out upon them until they are cleansed from the face of the earth. But inasmuch as they will repent, thou art gracious and merciful, and wilt turn away thy wrath when thou lookest upon the face of thine anointed. Have mercy, O Lord. Upon all the nations of the earth, have mercy upon the rulers of our land. May those principles 
which were so honorably and nobly defended, namely, the constitution of our land by our fathers be established forever. Remember the kings, the princes, the nobles, and the great ones of the earth, and all people, and the churches, all the poor, the needy, and afflicted ones of the earth, that their hearts may be softened when thy servant shall go out from thy house, O Jehovah, to bear testimony of thy name, that their prejudices may give way before the truth, and thy people may obtain favor in the sight of all. Joseph prays for the wicked and unrepentant, that their hearts may be softened. He prays for the kings and rulers of the earth, that they might rise above their prejudice and bigotry, so that the sweet message of the gospel may penetrate their souls. That all the ends of the earth may know that we, thy servants, have heard thy voice, and that thou hast sent us, that from among all these thy servants, the sons of Jacob, may gather out the righteous to build a holy city to thy name, as thou hast commanded them. We ask thee to appoint unto Zion other stakes besides this one which thou hast appointed, that the gathering of thy people may roll on in great power and majesty, that thy work may be cut short in righteousness. Joseph prays that the people may be able to comprehend their message, that God has spoken to them in the latter days and has begun to unfold the everlasting gospel for the last time. He also prays that the Lamanites, or seed of Jacob, may be more responsive and begin preparing themselves to help build the new Jerusalem. He is actually praying that the judgments upon the wicked may be cut short, as the repentant people turn again toward righteousness. Now these words, O Lord, we have spoken before thee concerning the revelations and commandments which thou hast given unto us, who are identified with the Gentiles. But thou knowest that thou hast a great love for the children of Jacob, who have been scattered upon the mountains for a long time, in a cloudy and dark day. We therefore ask thee to have mercy upon the children of Jacob, that Jerusalem from this hour may begin to be redeemed, and the yoke of bondage may begin to be broken off from the house of David, and the children of Judah may begin to return to the lands which thou didst give to Abraham, their father. Joseph counts it a miraculous blessing that God has poured out his revelation on the heads of the saints who are identified with the Gentiles, but they are anxious to share this wonderful gospel with the children of Jacob, the Lamanites, and the children of David, the Jews. And cause that the remnants of Jacob, who have been cursed and smitten because of their transgression, be converted from their wild and savage condition to the fullness of the everlasting gospel, that they may lay down their weapons of bloodshed and cease their rebellions. He prays that the Lamanites may cease to be a bloodthirsty people, and that they will lay down their weapons of war. He longs for them to become civilized, to learn how to cultivate the fields, and let the gospel way of life replace their wild and ferocious existence. And may all the scattered remnants of Israel, who have been driven to the ends of the earth, come to a knowledge of the truth, believe in the Messiah, and be redeemed from oppression 
and rejoice before thee. Finally, Joseph extends his prayer to all the children of Israel who are scattered throughout the earth. O Lord, remember thy servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and all his afflictions and persecutions, how he has covenanted with Jehovah and vowed to thee, O mighty God of Jacob, and the commandments which thou hast given unto him, and that he hath sincerely striven to do thy will. Have mercy, O Lord, upon his wife and children, that they may be exalted in thy presence and preserved by thy fostering hand. Have mercy upon all their immediate connections, that their prejudices may be broken up and swept away as with a flood, that they may be converted and redeemed with Israel, and know that thou art God. Now the prophet pleads with the Lord on behalf of himself and his family, who had endured such afflictions and sufferings ever since the Lord had given them their calling to proclaim the everlasting gospel. Remember, O Lord, the presidents, even the presidents of thy church, that thy right hand may exalt them with all their families and their immediate connections, that their names may be perpetuated and had an everlasting remembrance from generation to generation. Remember all thy church, O Lord, with all their families and all their immediate connections, with all their sick and afflicted ones, with all the poor and meek of the earth, that the kingdom which thou hast set up without hands may become a great mountain and fill the whole earth, that thy church may come forth out of the wilderness of darkness and shine forth fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners and be adorned as a bride for that day when thou shalt unveil the heavens, and cause the mountains to flow down at thy presence, and the valleys to be exalted, the rough places made smooth, that thy glory may fill the earth. Joseph now prays for the leaders of the church, as well as the members who have suffered so many afflictions, to bring the church to this point where it can begin to fill the earth. That when the trump shall sound for the dead, we shall be caught up in the cloud to meet thee, that we may ever be with the Lord, that our garments may be pure, that we may be clothed upon with robes of righteousness, with palms in our hands, and crowns of glory upon our heads, and reap eternal joy for all our sufferings. O Lord God Almighty, hear us in these our petitions, and answer us from heaven, thy holy habitation where thou sittest enthroned with glory, honor, power, majesty, might, dominion, truth, justice, judgment, mercy, and an infinity of fullness from everlasting to everlasting. Joseph knows there is so much yet to be done before the second coming. He pleads with the Lord to hear these words of petition and accept the holy temple that they have erected to his honor and glory. Listen to his final magnificent petition to the Lord. O hear, O hear, O hear us, O Lord, and answer these petitions and accept the dedication of this house unto thee, the work of our hands, which we have built unto thy name, and also this church, to put upon it thy name, 
and help us by the power of thy Spirit, that we may mingle our voices with those bright shining seraphs around thy throne, with acclamations of praise, singing Hosanna to God and the Lamb. And let these, thine anointed ones, be clothed with salvation, and thy saints shout aloud for joy. Amen and Amen. Section 110, Introduction So many people turned out for the dedication of the Kirtland Temple that they had to hold the ceremony twice. In modern times, we often repeat dedications many, many times. The Kirtland dedication took place on Saturday, February the 6th, 1836. The glorious Pentecostal displays of miraculous visions, speaking in tongues, prophesying, and heavenly fires caused a sensation in the community. William Smith saw a vision of the Twelve preaching the gospel in England. There was a great spirit in the General Assembly that had gathered for the dedication, and after prayer was read, the congregation was led in the Hosanna shout. This was followed by the singing of the Spirit of God like a fire is burning, which is now traditional at all temple dedications. As soon as the temple was dedicated, ordinance work for the elders was commenced. The so-called endowment in the Kirtland Temple was primarily the washing of feet and the anointing of all who were being prepared for the complete endowment at some future time. On Sunday, February the 7th, regular church services were conducted both in the morning and afternoon. This procedure was followed each week until Sunday, April the 3rd. On this date, Joseph writes, quote, In the afternoon, I assisted the other presidents in distributing the Lord's Supper to the church, receiving it from the Twelve, whose privilege it was to officiate at the sacred desk this day. After having performed this service to my brethren, I retired to the pulpit and the veils were dropped, thereby dividing the main auditorium into four rooms, and bowed myself with Oliver Cowdery in solemn and silent prayer. After rising from prayer, the following vision was open to both of us, unquote. This is set forth in the introduction to section 110. Now here is the text to section 110. The veil was taken from our minds, and the eyes of our understanding were opened. This is the way Moses and other prophets have described the miraculous opening of the mind to comprehend the spirit world and all that is portrayed therein. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us, and under his feet was a paved work of pure gold in color like amber. But even though Joseph and Oliver were quickened so they could see the Savior, it is interesting that he was standing on the pulpit of the Kirtland Temple, and the surface of the pulpit beneath the feet of Jesus appeared to be of pure gold. His eyes were as a flame of fire. The hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah, saying, Joseph tries to describe the magnificent person standing before him. He refers to his head and his hair, which he compares to the whiteness of driven snow. 
Nevertheless, his face was brilliant and like the brightness of the sun, and when he spoke, his voice aroused a sense of hearing great rushing waters. I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. The Savior identifies himself as the first and the last, the one who lives eternally, but was slain in order that he could intercede with the Father on behalf of the children of men. Behold, your sins are forgiven you. You are clean before me. Therefore lift up your heads and rejoice. Joseph and Oliver are assured that their sins are completely obliterated through the Savior's atonement, and therefore they should be filled with rejoicing. Let the hearts of your brethren rejoice, and let the hearts of all my people rejoice who have with their might built this house to my name. In the same sense, Jesus implies that the blessings being showered upon Joseph and Oliver will also rest upon the saints who have built this temple. Jesus then pronounces the very word Joseph and Oliver so anxious to hear. He said, For behold, I have accepted this house, and my name shall be here, and I will manifest myself to my people in mercy in this house. Yea, I will appear unto my servants and speak unto them with mine own voice, if my people will keep my commandments and do not pollute this holy house. Yea, the hearts of thousands and tens of thousands shall greatly rejoice in consequence of the blessings which shall be poured out and the endowment with which my servants have been endowed in this house. And the fame of this house shall spread to foreign lands. And this is the beginning of the blessing which shall be poured out upon the heads of my people. Even so. Amen. After this vision closed, the heavens were again opened unto us, and Moses appeared before us, and committed unto us the keys of the gathering of Israel from the four parts of the earth, and the leading of the ten tribes from the land of the north. Now in this vision Joseph and Oliver were either introduced by Jesus to the famous prophet Moses, or it was otherwise made known unto them who he was. Keys are always conferred by the laying on of hands. Therefore Joseph and Oliver had the thrill of feeling the resurrected hands of Moses upon their heads. Originally Moses had been translated so he did not die in the ordinary sense. But the scripture says he was with Jesus in the resurrection. This would imply that the hands Joseph and Oliver felt on their heads were resurrected hands. Moses conferred upon them the keys for the gathering of Israel from all over the earth, and also the lost ten tribes which Moses had earlier predicted would be gathered in from the outermost regions of heaven and brought down from the land northward, unquote. And this prophecy is in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4, and Doctrine and Covenants section 133, verse 26. After this, Elias appeared and committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and our seed all generations after us should be blessed. Now we are puzzled by the next person who appeared. It was a person identified as Elias, a title meaning messenger 
or one who prepares the way. And he conferred upon Joseph and Oliver the keys of the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. But we cannot help but ask why Abraham didn't bring these keys. And furthermore, who is this Elias, the special messenger with the keys of Abraham's dispensation? Elder Glenn Kimber shared with me a possible answer. Moses and Elias both came as angelic messengers, but the scripture says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had advanced above their angelic calling and had become gods. The scripture says, quote, Abraham abode in my law, and Isaac also, and Jacob did none other thing than that which they were commanded. And because they did none other things than that which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltation according to the promises to sit upon thrones and are not angels but are gods. End of quote. And that's in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 37. And because they are gods, they no longer go forth to fill angelic assignments. As the scripture says, quote, And landed their souls, yea, their immortal souls, at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven, to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and with all the holy fathers, to go no more out. This is in Helaman chapter 2, verses 3 to 30. Therefore, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who hold the keys to the dispensations of Abraham, are all above the angelic stage and are with God, we are led to ask who will be the residual heir to Abraham's dispensation. Obviously, it would be the next one in line, which is Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. It is plain that Joseph is the next one in line when we read the reverse list of Abraham's heirs, which says, and also with Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham your fathers, by whom the promises remain. And that's the way it's stated in Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, verse 10. I would agree with Elder Kimber that these passages would strongly indicate that the messenger or Elias, who conferred the keys of Abraham's dispensation on Joseph and Oliver, was actually Joseph who was sold into Egypt. After this vision had closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us. For Elijah the prophet, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us and said, The next great vision to appear before the eyes of Joseph and Oliver was Elijah, the custodian of the great priesthood sealing powers down through the centuries. Now Joseph and Oliver had received the keys for the gathering of Israel, the keys to the Lord's covenant with Abraham, and the keys for the sealing up of those who are entitled to the blessings of Abraham's seed, either by inheritance or by adoption. All of this fulfills the prophecy of Malachi when he said, quote, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Unquote. And that's in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This also fulfills the prophecy of the resurrected angel Moroni when he said, quote, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, 
If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming, unquote. And that's in the History of the Church, Volume 1, page 12. It was because of the prophecy of Malachi that Jews all over the world for centuries have celebrated the feast of the Passover by making a place for Elijah at the table and leaving the door ajar in hopes he might enter. This led Joseph Fielding Smith to say, quote, It was, I am informed, on the third day of April, 1836, that the Jews in their homes at the Paschal Feast, which was the Feast of the Passover, opened their doors for Elijah to enter. On that very day, Elijah did enter, not in the home of the Jews to partake of the Passover with them, but he appeared in the house of the Lord, erected to his name, and received by the Lord in Kirtland, and there bestowed the keys to bring to pass the very things which these Jews assembled in their homes were seeking, unquote. That's in the conference report for April 1936, page 75. Behold, the time has fully come which was spoken of by the mouth of Malachi, testifying that he, Elijah, should be sent before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse. Therefore the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands. And by this ye may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near, even at the doors. The Lord indicated in this revelation that by restoring all of these keys, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery may know that great and the dreadful day of the Lord is near even at the doors. It is apparent from church history that the prophet Joseph felt impelled to clarify many of the wonderful blessings that had come to the church as a result of the sealing powers delivered to the church by Elijah. For example, on Sunday, January 21, 1844, the prophet Joseph Smith preached a sermon at the southeast corner of the Nauvoo Temple to several thousand people. At that time he said, quote, The Bible says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now the word turn here should be translated bind or seal. But what is the object of this important mission, or how is it to be fulfilled? The keys are to be delivered, the spirit of Elijah is to come, the gospel to be established, the saints of God gathered, Zion built up, and the saints to come up as saviors on Mount Zion. That's quoted from Obadiah 21. But how are they to become saviors on Mount Zion? by building their temples, erecting their baptismal fonts, and going forth and receiving all the ordinances, baptisms, confirmations, washings, anointings, ordinances, and sealing power upon their heads in behalf of all their progenitors who are dead, and redeem them that they may come forth in the first resurrection and be exalted to thrones of glory with them. 
And herein is the chain that binds the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, which fulfills the mission of Elijah. This is taken from the History of the Church, Volume 6, pages 183 to 184. Dr. Sidney B. Sperry of Brigham Young University describes the beautiful pattern of families united one with another clear back to Adam. He says, quote, Through the powers of priesthood given to Elijah, men and women may be sealed to each other in marriage for time and eternity in the temples of God. Children born of these unions may be claimed by their parents forever, since the latter are united by an everlasting covenant. The family organization thus continues beyond the grave as one generation is sealed to another back to the days of Adam. End of quote. And that's Perry, Doctrine and Covenants, Compendium, page 604. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.